I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, I'm speaking with Chris Roberts. Chris is the Chief Security Architect at Alcavio and is regarded as one of the world's foremost experts on the counter-threat intelligence within the cybersecurity industry. At Alcavio, Chris helps drive technology innovation and product leadership. In addition, Roberts directs a portfolio of services within Alcavio Design to improve the physical and digital security posture of both enterprise, industrial, and government clients. As Chris would say, let's put this in English. Alcavio has given him the opportunity to help shape the next generation of deception platforms, allowing him to spend time doing R&D, and he still gets to break into companies and help them with the maturity modeling and overall solutions with inside the security industry. For the 50th episode, I couldn't have picked a better guest, and this is one of my favorite interviews to date. We discuss scotch tasting and food and how this relates to InfoSec, building a better cybersecurity community, learning from past mistakes, why giving back to the community is so important, why the new generation needs to make their own mistakes, the word hacker, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Thanks for listening. So, Chris, thanks for joining me in Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? Not too bad, thank you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, now I'm sitting in what's arguably the best uh, man cave of probably even the best scotch collection I've ever seen in in private and uh, commercial settings. It's, it's, I have to say, it almost seems obsessive, but it's, I can't find anything else to be obsessive about. Oh, it's obsessive. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, it's, it's that whole, the problem is, is I've got the dragon mentality and I had it years ago with gemstones. I used to climb a lot. So I would collect gemstones and I would collect the raw stuff, the cut stuff. I'd cut some of it myself I, and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm sitting on the freaking tons of this stuff. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with it? And then years and years and years before that, I had the same with watches. I used to collect watches and now it's bloody whiskeys and single malts and, and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's it's it's, um, it's a little scary. It's fun. It's definitely, um, it, it's interesting because we run tastings out of here like every six weeks. And then also it's kind of a fun thing that, you know, if you're in the middle of a meeting or you want to have clients over or whatever, you bring them over here and, you know, you've you've almost disarmed them before yeah. you even start to like, uh, okay, how do we do business with you so we can come back here more often? Yeah. No, I, I think it's a great strategy and one I might, might have to steal. But I mean, there's almost a, a little bit of the, uh, you know, obsessive mentality of, of wanting to get deeper into things. I, I would guess that that probably followed your InfoSec career too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's that... I mean, it's no different. It's the hacker mentality. Yeah. It's decompiling something down to a component level to figure out what makes it tick and then recompiling it. Ironically enough, a couple of us, uh, Jesse and Chester and a few of us, have been talking about you know following almost in like Jim Manley's footsteps. And you know he's obviously gone off to TX and is doing amazing things there. But we were talking about setting up a still and starting our own. And you know, Jim's like, for crying out loud, don't blow yourselves up. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I, I just say there's a lot of people I've talked to you know, in the industry that there, there is a little bit of, of that 
uh, it's a funny connection between food and beverage with a lot of folks in cybersecurity. And you, you find that the, the people that are have that hacker mentality is that I got to figure out how it works. I got to reverse engineer it. And it's less about the technology. It's more about the process. Oh, I, totally. Absolutely. I mean, that's the fun thing about all this stuff. It's, again, back to that semi-obsessive but not completely ADD craziness, which is... I've got everything's arranged in here by region. So, you know, behind us, we've got all the odd bags and we've got a lot of the Brooklyn and stuff. So, we've got the islands and the islands. Then, you know, moving around, we've got the highlands, the lowlands, the spays, the Campbell towns. And then we've obviously got all the other stuff, the blends and everything else. Um, but they're all fairly well organized, even in those component parts. And so much difference between them. Again, you talk about the whole infosex sphere. Is, I mean, there's such a wide variety of stuff that you just want to play with it. And it's the same here. Yeah. And, and then it's like, well, now I want to collect them all. And then, then you know, thankfully, Jen, the girlfriend, is like, she's like, okay, you have your man cave. Um, you fill it up. You do what you want with it. And I'm like, <laughs> yay! <laughs> a little bit of a rubber stamp. Well, it's funny, you know. It, it's you know, it's I re I remember getting into scotch probably about ten years ago in whiskeys, and I was not so much in it, but definitely was the beer guy. And it's good being in Denver now with that selection. Oh, but yeah. you know, it was kind of exploring. But almost from, yeah, it does remind me a little bit of the early uh, stages of information security. It's like where do you start? And you just have to kind of jump in a little bit and find out what's your taste and passion. I think jump in and also find like-minded people. Um, I mean, the, the, the crazy thing about it is, is I remember, and I don't know how many years ago, it was like four, five, six years ago, give or take a bit. I remember um, it was one of the guys, we were gooning for B-sides in Las Vegas. And one of the guys was like, hey, we're all going off to a Scotch thing this evening. And I'm like, do what? I'm like, that sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, we turn up in this, you know, the double wide room. Jim Manley's up there. Chris Hagnati's there. Jameson Shear's there. There's all these guys. I mean, there's so many guys from like the, the DerbyCon days and everything else. And it's like a family thing. And it's just fantastic. And so it's the same as Infosec. It's like you just get a chance to ask people and talk people. And these guys, I mean, they're friends. They're fantastic people. And you can text and pick up a phone and go, hey, I've got a question on either whiskey or on information <laughs> security. And so having that kind of just that network and, and it, it takes us kind of coming out of our own shells and going, hey, I know in order to do better, I obviously can't learn everything myself, but I know people who I can surround myself with who know more than I do, who know different areas than I do and all this other stuff. It's, you know, there's certain stuff I know in here, but, you know, I, if I need a question, I'll hit Jim or any of those other guys. I'm going, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And Todd, Todd as well. So, I mean, there's so Todd Keller and all those guys, there's... Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of people that, you know, part of this podcast has been about trying to expose that that mentality to a lot of people, particularly starting in the industry, think, well, I don't know enough or I don't know it all. But, I, it, you know, I think the experience that I've started to have is that nobody knows it all. And it's almost the older you get to realize how much you, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I put a post out on um, LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, like two or three, about two weeks ago, so something like that. And it was... Uh, you know, I get asked regularly on a lot of the forums, like, how do I get into this? What do I do? What do I read? So I put a book list together. I put a, re I put a reading list together. I put a podcast list together. I put a list of just things to think about and things to do. And then dropped it up onto a Dropbox with a whole bunch of presentations I've done over the last year or two. And I ended up writing a piece in LinkedIn for it, which got hit a ton of times, you know, 15, 20, 25,000 times. From people who are like, this is great. Now, at least I have some thoughts about how to get into this. Rather than asking the fundamental questions like how, I've given them, like, here's three or four different stepping stones. Once you get to those, 
you know, we're around. But if you come to me with the Google question, the first page of Google questions, that's when I'm like, at yeah. least do something. Yeah. And what's, you know, I guess along some of the thoughts is, is you know, a lot of people probably come to you too and say, you know, what, what certifications do I get? What, what are your kind of your thoughts on that? I mean, it's everybody has, it's, you know, kind of a polarizing issue uh, within inside the industry at times. Oh my gosh. Is it ever? Yeah. Certifications are definitely one of those, you know, it's, it's a love hate thing. It's, um, I mean, I've gone through a number of them. I'm, you know, again, old school. I have my NT351, you know, Microsoft certified yeah. trainer for crying out loud, my OS2, my Novell and, you know, I did my CISSP back when the cobwebs were around. Renewed it for a while, then forgot to and got yelled at by them. And I was like, okay, whatever. And same thing with like the CCIE uh, stuff. But honestly, I mean, it, you know, hands down, arguably in our industry especially, it takes a lot to beat the experience. And the experience doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, I've spent five years slaving away at a company. To me, the experience also comes to be the, hey, what do you do in your spare time? You know, do you do you look at this industry as something that's just a paycheck? Or do you look at it as something where, hey, I know between the hours of, you know, eight and five, nine and six, whatever, I have to do this. But outside of those hours, I want to maybe write a blog. I want to do a piece. I want to do the podcast. I want to do something to either give back or to further knowledge or to help or to question things. Maybe I take things to pieces in my basement. Perfect. You know, the makerspace and everything else. It's... To me, that means a lot more uh, than a lot of the certificates. Now, saying that, there's two schools of thought with the certificates. They're obviously useful and they're helpful, especially for a lot of companies. The companies at least understand that to pass the certificate, you have a baseline of understanding. Arguably, it's not a very good baseline because that baseline is, hey, I just managed to get enough knowledge to pass the certificate. Woohoo! But there's also that, okay, so now you at least have something that I know I can build off of. Um, and then there's also the argument that there's some better ones out like CEH, the GX stuff really does have a good wide grounding in the fundamentals of security. So at least if somebody's coming to me with one of the, say, the more recognized ones, or they've been through a bunch of the SANS training, I mean, there's some fantastic training guys out there. So as long as they've been through maybe a recognized training, or they've actually had to spend time with a good trainer, that means a lot too. But I still think, you know, too many HR departments, too many organizations go, we're not going to talk to you unless you've got a CISP or unless you've got a CDH, at which point I think they're missing out on so many good people. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we've seen that with, with some of the, the groups even here in Colorado, you know, we have like SecureSet that's trying to break through that mentality and try to say, look, we got to, if we're going to fill this talent gap shortage, we got to pull from different areas. You know, kind of what's what's your take, first of all, and like, what do you think, is there that much of a talent gap shortage that the numbers are real and how would we overcome any degree of it? So ironically, the secure set size is an interesting one. Um, the Chester and the team, and then the team that I'm kind of like helping with, with Thor for security and uh, hillbilly hit squad, you know, and that's outside of the Calvio stuff. Those two, um, they've taken on a couple of folks from secure set upside is they have a, base level understanding downside is it's a really base level understanding so it would be nice if there's more depth and more breadth and all that good stuff but again you can't teach everything in this environment there's just so much of it um i i would argue there's definitely a skill shortage um now is there a human shortage probably not i definitely say there's a skills shortage um, there's a lot of people coming into this industry that unfortunately know 
maybe how to run Metasploit or know how to run Qualys or know how to run Blue Team. We'll ignore the Red Team stuff in a minute. Let's focus on the problems we do have, the Blue Team side of the world. There's a lot of people who know how to push the buttons and know how the tools work, but don't fundamentally understand behind the scenes what's happening at the network layer, the application layer, what actually is an enterprise network consist of. Um, that was always my one of my biggest bugbears with, you know, people like, oh, I popped shell on this server. Well, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Well done. Pat on the back. You've joined the many millions. What are you going to do from here? Where does that server fit into the jigsaw of an enterprise? And so understanding the business aspect of it and then understanding where that tech falls into the business is, is I think, a huge gap that we have in the industry. Yeah, and it seems like there, there's not only just the uh, technology skills, but one of the things that we've kind of uncovered in this podcast that becomes a common theme is that there's a lot of other soft skills that are missing with inside people, and particularly around communications. Like people just don't seem to be able to write, <laughs> even, if it's a, even if it's just an email or a report, but this, the communication skills seems to be a big, big challenge. Yeah. It's it, what's funny about, or not what's funny, I guess what's, what's been interesting in the last, I guess, year and a half. Um, I'm fairly well known for, you know, being a little outspoken occasionally. So we say every now and then, every now and again, and my, you know, my attitude towards I'm done with you, I'm just going to taser you, you know, I've had enough. Well, Kathy Ullman over at University of Buffalo kind of called me out on it. And it was about a year and a half, two years ago, whenever it was. And she's like, hey, you can do better than that. I know you can do better than that. I've seen you write better and everything else. And she's, she's, we've actually collaborated on some pretty awesome stuff around communication and how as an industry, a lot of times we're really not good at it. You know, we spent what, 25 years running into the business's office going, oh, we need a firewall to fix it. Oh, we need a DLP to fix it. Oh, and, and now, you know, the business is looking at us going, guys, we've given you all this money. We've given you all this technology. We've listened to you and shit's still broken. You know, we're still losing data. What the hell are you doing? Rather than walking into a business office and going, hey, we have risks in this industry. The IT has risks. The organization has risks by going down an IT route. However, those risks have to be balanced against the other business risks, the financial risk, the business, the physical, the human risk, and all the other 101 things. Therefore, how do we communicate effectively where our risk fits into that? And then obviously, how do we mitigate it? And what do we do effectively to communicate it, to do metrics around it, and all those other good things we've been yakking about, but we're still freaking awful about. Yeah, that's why I find a challenge. I mean, even with some of my more junior people with inside my organization, I've taken on because I'm, I'm kind of a crazy person. Said, well, I, I need to learn more about, say, like Office 365 cloud environments. And I said, what what better way than start administering it and try to wrangle it in? So that, you know, but it goes back to spending, you know, an extra four or five hours a day at night just saying, okay, I'm really going to understand this. But people then come back saying, well, if you're going to implement this, why can't I have that? And I have to explain to them, it's not just about software. It's about managing assets and all the costs. And they go, oh, and you know, somebody asked me the other day, I said, well, why can't I have this piece of software? And an hour later, I broke it down to him. But it's it's interesting. He was, you know, somebody's come, one of our better reverse engineers and dev guys, but he just doesn't have any of the business sense. And what scares me is that so many people are now coming out of these uh, schools and rushing, but rushing them out, but not teaching them anything about the business side, which is really the audience they need to speak to. Yeah, hugely so. I mean, we've, you know, we joke about it. You know, we've, we've spent 20 odd years standing on stage telling people about passwords, but we've been telling ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's great. You know, when I go, you know, DEF CON's great, Black Hat's great, all those other ones, but you stand on stage, you're preaching to the choir. 
you know, we need to be getting into a lot of the other industries. But in doing that, we kind of need to take a page. You know, you look at XKCD. I mean, most of us know XKCD. You take a page out of XKCD, and one of the books he has out explains everything in the top 1,000 simplest words. So we need to do the same. We need to ditch the acronyms, ditch the bullshit, ditch putting our names out there in binary, and I've done the same crazy shit every now and again. <laughs> but we need to actually, I hate to say it, we almost need to normalize our st- ourselves enough so industry can actually take us more seriously and that we can integrate. Now, there's that argument which is also, well, industry has needs to accept us for who we are, but there's got to be somewhere in the middle we need to meet. Yeah. How, how do you think we do start you know, kind of overcoming that that gap. I, it, it's it's tough. Back to what you said, we need to commu- we need to communicate more effectively, and that's written forms of communication. That's verbal communication. You know, a lot of folks. If you look at any of the uh, any of the leaders in in this industry, are really getting out there and talking at healthcare conferences, at financial conferences, and manufacturing industrial. But again, we need to walk in there literally with the dictionary of the thousand most frequently used words and our PowerPoints and our presentations literally need to be built from that. We cannot have anything more complicated or more complex than that. And it's got nothing to do with insulting people, but it really has to do with opening people's eyes in a way that they will understand, in a way they're not going to put barriers up and go, okay, the weird tall blue thing on stage is yelling at me because I keep putting my damn password number one in there. And I'm going to ignore him. I'm going to shut down. You know, it's human engineering. Nickerson's amazing at this. Chris and Hagnani's fantastic at this. Watching those folks, and I mean, you know, Hack for Pancakes, Leslie, oh my God. You look at how those people interact with other humans, and you're like, my gosh, why can't we all yeah. <laughs> learn from the same and do the same and actually interact in a way which somebody will actually be willing to work with us rather than close the door and shut down because we just seem strange and odd? Yeah, no, there's definitely the... Uh that that I find sometimes with some of the folks on our tree too try to uh, assert their dominance in uncomfortable situations uh, intellectually and almost try to bully people and then quickly shut down any lines of communication because they feel they need to uh, show off. Oh my God, it's it's who's got the biggest dick at that yeah. point. I mean, it really is. It's like, all right, everybody, put it on the table and, you know, apologies for the female audience. But I mean, that really is what it bloody feels like. Yeah. It's like, come on, we're, we're, this isn't frat boy bullshit. We got to get better at this. We really do need to actually take that step back and actually figure out how to more effectively communicate. And, you know, to that point, actually, that's a huge point is, um, again, working with Kathy has been freaking fantastic because it's a very, very different viewpoint. A, it's a very female centric mm-hmm. viewpoint. Secondly, she comes out of the uh, university system. So it's really interesting to look at how she structures things. As opposed to me, which is, you know, I will leap and then figure it out on the way down. I'm like, ah, we'll get yeah. this sorted. Ah, just like, yeah. you know, putting those two together has, it's been really interesting working on that. It's been kind of fun. Again, collaborating. Yeah. And that kind of comes with, there, there's definitely the, the, there's always that ongoing gender issues with inside of our security of like security industry, trying to get more people in it. And I think it's been more of a prevalent just an overall IT problem to a certain degree. I, I see, you know, we were involved in an investigation this week and the, the head of security of this company was working with my lead female investigator and was basically mansplaining things to her, even though she could probably run circles around it, but we had this condescending attitude that I realized had it been me or somebody else, just a, basically a male on the, 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 the email chain would have never talked to somebody else like that. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit. And it's, 
you know, we look at our industry and we suck. I mean, we're getting better, but we're freaking awful at it. I mean, RSA, what a bunch of absolute idiots. I mean, you've got it blatted all over the news and then that bunch of dingleberries comes out and has, what is it, one keynote speaker out of everybody in that first round pick? I'm like, you bunch of dingleberries. We do it to ourselves, but I mean, it's not just our industry. I mean, shit, you look at the entertainment industry's taken a bunch of black eyes. You look at the industry as a whole. I mean, Jen, you know, she's in healthcare and healthcare risk management. Again, that's a very male-dominated um, industry. It's we got to get better at it. I mean, I we um, I did a couple of pieces recently um, for LinkedIn for help a sister up and. Um, for CISO magazine, I've got a 14 year old daughter and I'm looking at her and I'm like, all right, number one, I'm going to arm you with a taser anyway, so that when some idiot man does go, well, I'm just going to explain it to you, pretty little woman. She's going to be like, please hold still. This isn't going to hurt for long, but you need it. I mean, that's good. God, so we really have to do that shit. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, okay, she's 14. She's going to hit the workforce in your X number of years. It's like, all right, what can I do? How can I change that paradigm? You know, and if it means I got to taser a few people, yeah, so be it. It happens, yeah. Well, you touched about it a little bit too. We kind of talk about like kind of the news and the the public perception of of hacking, and, and certainly you've. I think the first time that I connected with you on LinkedIn was watching something you were probably on CNN, and if I recall, it was something for like uh, helping some folks out with a four one nine, you know, Nigerian scam thing. So like, <laughs> yeah. But it was like I could see your passion in it, but it was you know it was very much a you know, uh, hacker centric kind of thing, I think from point of view. Now for me, for being in the industry, I would say, Oh, that's cool. Somebody's getting out there, but I still think the media was portraying it as, Oh, cool. Look at the hacker as opposed to the, the view. I mean, have, are you starting to see or think that it's starting to change now or is it still, still I was up until I was <laughs> up until Georgia, the Georgia, the three, one, what is it? Flipping article three fifteen. the, you know, congratulations. If you even sniff in our general direction, we're going to consider you a criminal for crying out loud. I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. I, I yes, I think there are more people aware of the the context around the hacker word. So, and I think that's a there's a number of us. You know, I mean, I, I look at it on LinkedIn and I chastise and I growl at people, and I get a lot of people like, "Yeah, I've been saying the same thing for the last you know ten, fifteen years." And again, we do it to ourselves. If we look look at the marketing that our own bloody industry puts out, where we've got the black hooded guy with the gloves on and the freaking glasses. And, and I'm like, we're doing it. What the hell are we doing? You know, protect yourselves from hackers. Well, actually, no, congratulations. This community was built by hackers. So um, how about protect yourselves from criminals? You know, if you really want to attach cyber before criminal, have at it. You know, have a nice day if that makes you feel happy. But for goodness sakes, you know, how and, and maybe that ship sailed. Maybe it is too late. Maybe it's gotten to the stage where the word hacker is synonymous with, you know, destruction and violence and whatever the hell it is. You know, if if it is, so be it. But I'm probably not gonna give up the fight anytime soon. Yeah, and so I mean, kind of stepping that back, I mean, where where did you kind of get started? What was the impetus for you to jump into the hacker community? Oh um I hated losing at games. I mean, I was literally I was ten years old and I had um I had one of the Atari game machines and it was tape loaded and I, you know, you load, load the tape in, the game starts spinning up and off you go. And it was the Texas Hold'em game from, you know, gosh, what, early 80s for crying out loud. 
And I hated losing at the darn thing. So I ended up figuring out how to code, how to program, got it from the magazines, got it from the early bulletin boards and started really looking at that. Fast forward a couple of years, actually go back, shit, ZX80, we ended up building a flipping joystick for a ZX80 for crying out loud because the darn things were some stupid amount of money. Mm-hmm. So I was at boarding school. I lasted a year at boarding school <laughs> and um, it and I did not get on with each other. And um, yeah, we ended up hacking together a flipping joystick and I was like nine, 10 years old. And then, you know, the, the Atari and then the Commodore 64 and uh, it was a modem decoupler. And then actually, ironically enough, watching war games because I was doing my war dialing, but I was doing it number at a time. Didn't even think about it. So war games, I'm like, hang on, I can write a file that has all the numbers in it. Sweet. Yeah. And then uh, my parents split apart and I was like 15, 14, 15 years old and um, I ended up being the master criminal that I was, basically dialing into the bank in the town, managed to bypass the passwords again, thanks to bulletin boards, managed to bypass the passwords, get in, create an account, uh, and move money from his account into one in my name. So I got yelled at for that one pretty badly. Um, and then, yeah, really didn't change. Um, yeah. Really didn't change. I, you know, I remember uh, before I went into the military, I, I walked into my boss's office at the company I was working for. I mean, I left school at 15. I walked into my boss's office. I was like 16, 17. I'm like, why am I the lowest paid person here? And he just looked at me. He's like, how do you mean? I'm like, well, so-and-so's making this and so-and-so's making that and so-and-so's on this and I'm training them all and I'm doing, you know, I, 16, 17 years old, you know, for God's sakes, testosterone, yeah. nine parts to one part blood for crying out loud. And he just looked at me, he's like, well, how do you know that? I'm like, well, because I got into the mainframe and I pulled out the HR files. <laughs> yeah, that conversation ended really quickly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and just just stuff like that. Came out of the military and um, ended up working for uh, National Power in the UK. And uh, I worked as a first-line screwdriver-wielding tech. I mean, I was walking around with a floppy disk in one hand and a screwdriver and a math co-processor, you know, in the pocket kind of thing. And I was very, very fortunate. My boss at the time um, let me mess with networking, let me mess with fiber, let me mess with all sorts of interesting stuff and uh, spent a year messing around with nuclear power plants and all sorts of other interesting stuff. And then just, I ended up contracting for IBM and 3Com and DEC and all these other companies working on, you know, early security products and early stuff. And I was at IBM when Compaq came out with this thing called Smart Start. And IBM panicked because Compaq had this, you know, oh, we can put SCO and we can put this. And, and IBM's like, holy shit, we just shop on bare metal and tell them to have at it. <laughs> so they basically put a team in the UK, which is where I was, and a team together in the US. And we came out with this whole, you know, version of Smart Start. And yeah, just went from there. And so it's, it's kind of been one one story after another of kind of building it, but it was there, you know, were you even calling it security then or was it? Mostly no. At what point did it tip to where to you it was like, wow, this is a, a cybersecurity is a job. <laughs> Probably in 98. I think when it really, I think 90, 97, 98, um, I was working for uh, an organization in the UK and we were tasked with uh, looking at the security, looking at, um, military sites and various other things and they were looking at it from making sure that they you know nobody could break in but it really hadn't been defined as security it was more IT it was like hey go make sure that you know the the computer networks work and nobody can break in go make sure that the mainframes work and nobody can break you know go make sure that that building nobody can get into it and all that kind of crazy stuff 
and that was 98 and then you know got involved with a a program between the UK and the US and we took it a little further than we should have done shall we say you know being in England it was like oh let's have fun with the Yanks and so we had fun with the Yanks and we got yelled at for having fun with the Yanks and um, then they send a plane over and, and then they brought us back to the US at which point we had to repair the fun that we caused <laughs> and uh, didn't leave haven't left ever since but it really it probably like 90 97 98 was when it really became less of just like an IT network kind of job and more of a hey this is you know this is really the focus so you know 20 you're looking back 20 years ago to to now are are the problems any different not really i mean they're, they're more complicated but well actually let me rephrase that it's kind of like digging through be it a big chocolate like a seven layer chocolate cake or if you're into geography it's like digging through the zones it doesn't fundamentally at the core it's still the same problem it's still access control it's still password management and it's still humans and it's still data you know it really comes back to fundamentally i have data 20 years ago 20 25 years ago that data was on a mainframe and if you didn't have access to the mainframe, the man shot you. Or if you did have access to the mainframe, you had a green screen. Great, now I'm in. So nowadays, we don't get to shoot you quite as often. And that data's just splatted all over. But still, fundamentally, we haven't figured out passwords properly. Fundamentally, data is now all over the place. We still haven't gotten the basics fixed. The fact that you know you still see on a weekly basis, somebody's breaking in with... Cross-site scripting or SQL injection. I mean, that's DEFCON 10 days. I remember back at DEFCON 10. I've seen RDP brute force attempts. It's 2018. I know. I mean, for crying out loud. You know, it's when you can still get in with like an MSOA exploit, it's just like... I, again, I did a piece, another one of the LinkedIn pieces. I, and I actually put the last one out yesterday. Back to basics. It was number seven on back to basics. And it's it's coming back. It's like, okay, we need to change the human. We need to either educate them or take them out altogether. Take your pick on which way you want to go on that one. Why are we still having RDP issues? Why are we still having MySQL issues? Why do we still not have eyes? Fundamentally, we don't have eyes on our network. Again, 20 years ago, what's going on on my network? Great, I can kind of tell because I can run packet sniffing or something, you know, ethereal or something like that on the damn thing. Um, the problem is we've just layered more and more and more crap on top of it. And then we've got 45,000 people running around RSA looking at new blinky light band-aid solutions for it. And that's honestly all it is. You know, if we fixed the fundamental problems, we'd shoot half the industry in the head. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, it almost feels like when it, when I've looked at it, it's like, well, you know, if it would be great if we had a really solid asset control system that had some vulnerability stuff built in and something that can really just get a good good feel on directory services and assets in the environment. And I was like, yeah, there, there's no motivation for anybody to build that. <laughs> it's not pretty. It's not sexy. It's it's not the latest and great. And that's the problem is, you know, you go out to the Valley and go, hey, I've I've got this really cool idea to build an asset management platform. And the VCs are like, oh, you, what did you say? Oh, did, did you have Bitcoin in there? Oh, we'll fund you. You know, unless you have like crypto or nano or freaking... What are we talking? A blockchain. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know what? If you put blockchain in your asset management, pro- oh, pff, you'd be yeah, funded blockchain tomorrow. Blockchain asset management. <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, it was. It was. I really again was like it was RSA. It was either a year ago, two years ago, but it was like 
yeah, there's something along the lines of they they went from oh it was, I know it was X Gen. They just dropped the N E out of like a next gen thing. I was like, they're just running out of words at this point. Yep. So, you know, but Again, with these fundamental problems that are still there, where do you see the industry changing? I mean, there's obviously technology is always a, a changing. There's new cloud stuff, however you want to kind of look at that. How does that change the game for, you know, what's maybe in the future that people might not even be thinking about yet? So I I put some stuff out at the beginning of last year. Um, we were fortunate enough to go out to Israel, to Cyber Week out in Israel. And it was uh, there was a, a a lady out there who was talking about human the psychology of human engineering. Nickerson gets up on stage and does a fantastic job of describing social engineering and human engineering at that level. Then I get up on stage and I'm like, eh, to hell with it. Let's just actually attack the human and started talking about nanotechnology and the bio nanotechnology side of the world and really getting into okay, where's healthcare going? You know, what are they doing to fundamentally change us? And then you take another step and you go, okay, well, that's amazing. So now we have, you know, ignore wearable tech. You know, we already know all that can be, or most of that can be hacked. Now let's take a look at where we're going to go in 5, 10, 15 years down the line. Let's take a look at consciousness. Let's take a look at how much we are actually able to pull out of the brain at the moment versus what we can actually potentially put into the brain. How can we fundamentally change what and how we view reality? And then by the way, while we're at it, let's actually talk about all the embedded tech that we're putting into our bodies and how much we can change that. That's the stuff I'm messing with. And that's fun and also horrendously scary at the same time. Where does one even start start in that level of research? <laughs> Just, I, it was pure fun. It literally came out of, I was up at Gurkhan and several years ago we did a whole series of talks on, you know, hacking everything with wings, wheels, tracks, tires and everything else and Eddie Mize and I hacked the the Mars rover and yeah, we got yelled at for that one and then somebody said about hacking minions and I'm like, Well I can't hack them, but maybe I can make them. So it started this whole chain of events about okay, if I want to actually have my own humans, where can I go? And then we started looking at uh, nanotechnology and bio nanotech, which there's an amazing amount of paperwork out there. We're working with a couple of the universities at the moment on basically how to secure, you know, they've got carbon nanotube architectures that can now literally choose the sperm that you want to actually fertilize the egg. And they've got carbon architectures for, um, you know, when you cut your stuff, they can actually put an architecture into the stitch to help the body know more effectively when it's healing and when it's fighting infection. That's kind of cool stuff. And then they're starting to look at, you know, can we really target cancer cells right down at a cellular level, which is amazing if we can do that. And that's great until you go, hey, if I change the frequency of the attack vector, I can get it to go after red blood cells. And they're like, well, you who would do that? And I'm like, I would. <laughs> and they're like, oh. So that started that. And then it was like, okay, so that's attacking the human body. What can I do with the brain? And the brain comes about because of some research passwords. Again, 25 years we've been yelling about passwords. We've put all these patches on top of passwords. And I'm like, okay, we as the actual human should fundamentally our existence be able to validate our ability to access something. The fact we exist should allow us the access. How do we actually crack that? And so I've been messing around with EEG monitors and also how I can pull data out of the brain and all sorts of other stuff. Um, I'll say this here at some point in time, I'll get around to patenting the stupid thing, but I now have it so that I've got a set of four EEG monitors on a different set of glasses than mine, that if I have the glasses and I have the RFID turned on, I can actually have the computer recognize who I am, 
because of me thinking about the computer, it opens up happily. I've got the same on one of the cars and I've got the same on a telephone of mine. So I'm able to pull out enough recognition between the computer and I that it forms basically a bond between the two of us. It understands it, it's a learning environment, and now I don't need to worry about putting passwords into access the computer. Interesting. So, and that's just, again, back to your point, that's my 10 o'clock at night till two o'clock in the morning, messing around, craziness. Yeah. So, so when you're not doing that, what's, what's the day, the day job look like? The day job's interesting. Um, the day job is, is broken up very much with the Calvio and the deception technology side of the world. So they took over the organization I was working for about a year and a half or a year and three quarters ago and ended up working with them because their idea was, hey, the perimeter's gone. What do we do now? And I'm like, well, you know, apart from running around panic, let's take a look at what you're doing. And they're basically building off the honeypots from you know 10, 15 years ago, renaming it, calling it deception. But the idea is is to camouflage it much more effectively. So as an attacker, I get in, I compromise the first machine, I start looking around. Obviously, I want to elevate privileges, I want to move off the initial host, and 101 other things that I want to do. So the idea with with a Calvio is to now build a tool that can not only sit there and go fishing and watch for that data, but can also put enough intelligence out there that as an attacker, I will take the bait. So I'll take a lure, I'll take something off the wire, I'll take a file, I'll interact with the registry or you know, 10, 15 other different things, at which point I'm now snared. Hopefully an alert's going off somewhere if somebody's paying attention to the stupid thing. And then do I bring you through Alice in Wonderland or do I just at least let somebody know that you're creeping around the network? So that doing a bunch of that. Um, outside of that, there's a couple of other projects. I'm helping the guys uh, at uh, Thought for Security, Chester and Kelsey and a couple of the crew at Thought for Security kind of build up the consulting practice because Acalvio doesn't want to do the consulting and that side of it. So Chester and those guys have picked up the overt side of that. And then I'm helping a couple of crew at Hillbilly Hit Squad. And then Justin and his team were doing a lot of work on the research and development side. So reverse engineering, basically breaking shit. And Hillbilly Hit Squad basically picks anything up where it's breaking shit, reverse engineering, or we're likely to get yelled at or shot. So it does all the weird stuff. Helping the guys over at Overwatch ID, uh, doing a lot of stuff with their Pam and IAM stuff. I mean, those guys are fantastic. Cameron and Andy and those guys I have, are... Uh, Cameron lined up in the next two weeks. I guess. Oh, he Sorry. is freaking awesome. Um, I got a huge amount of respect for what those guys are doing. Those guys have really taken the whole password side of the world and are doing their best to really simplify it for the integration of the end user. I mean, you know what it's like trying to put a password on a local machine and a cloud machine and an yeah, enterprise. And my, my weekend, I got to try to figure that out, how to single sign on a bunch of devices and it oh, doesn't end. It's hell. I mean, it, it's <laughs> hell. To those guys' credit, what uh, the Overwatch guys are doing is freaking fantastic. Um, I'm kind of like rooting for them, to be honest, because I like what they've come up with. So yeah, there's that. And there's a few other things, obviously, involved with Hacker Halted in Atlanta later on this year, involved with, you know, a bunch of different things. And obviously, I mean, the, the one big thing is, is kind of getting out there publicly. You speak quite a bit. Um, you know, you kind of give back to the community. And, and, and I think that's, you know, probably one of the most, uh, you know, notable things that you're probably known for is just getting out there and speaking. What, what kind of drove you to continue to kind of give back based on what you're doing instead of just being a taker? <laughs> Because I see too many take... No, actually, I take that back. I see a few takers, um, and it, they annoy me. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in this community who want this community to succeed. 
you know, warts and all, it's got its challenges, people wanted to succeed. I enjoy it. I mean, I, for all the craziness, I have a ton of fun getting up on stage. I was down at, uh, besides Chattanooga, two weekends ago, freaking fantastic, just hanging out with, I don't know, whatever it was, 50, 100 people, and just kicking back. Really good fun on stage, really good fun just talking to people. And, you know, I'm I'm not getting any younger. What am I, like 47 for crying out loud? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to enjoy this as long as I can, but there's a whole genre and there's a whole couple of you know what are we like probably at least one or two layers of folks coming up behind us then i'm like what can i do to help let you make different mistakes don't make the same mistakes we did make different mistakes but what can i do to help you make less mistakes how the hell can i do that you know if it's on linkedin if it's on you know some of the posts on linkedin are getting 30 40 50 thousand views and to me that's awesome um, trying to help out with Peerlist as well. I'll be honest, I kind of dropped the ball a little bit on some of that. But it's, I think a lot of it is, I've I've been bruised. I mean, I've, I've had my ass kicked a few times, you know, either from the federal side of things or from business. I mean, the mess with One World Labs is, you know, renowned, let's face it. Yeah. Um, the mess with messing with the feds with the 419 scam and obviously the avionics and a few other things. So it's like, all right, how much of that have I learned? And how much of that can I pass on to somebody else? So if you kind of look back, I mean, that's the thing that I think most people have a fear that, that I've been trying to mentor. They're like, well, what if I make a mistake? I'm like, good. How else are you going to learn? <laughs> exactly. You know, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll put, you know, I'll put corks on the sharp ends of the knives so you can't completely gouge your eyes out. But, you know, you kind of have to have some level of risk. Um, but, you know, kind of looking back at it now, what, what would you think is the biggest um, – you know, mistake or, or challenge that you had that really kind of set you up for the success that you've had? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think life choices. I honestly think it's less about tech and more about life choices. You know, I, I am fortunate that I have two daughters. Uh, I am a little less fortunate that I have some ex-wives. And I think it's those life choices. You know, I think definitely, you know, both probably my biggest, one of my biggest failures is obviously the, the mess with Al, which was a fairly public one. Um, that, you know, between that and the X from hell that all that got blown up in, you know, the, the upside outcome is I have an amazing 14-year-old daughter from that. Mm-hmm. You know, the downside from that was some amazing lessons to learn from it. And then quite honestly, how to communicate with her about everything that was going on. And same thing, you know, I have another daughter that I get to see, unfortunately, very infrequently. But I think the life lessons from that probably helped shape a lot. Um, you know, even even when I, I mean, part of the reason I'm in Colorado is uh, a fantastically good friend brought me out here to work for a company. And I came in and, and I knew it, I knew it up front that, you know, two weeks after getting in there, we got the phone call from Visa going, congratulations, you are the common point of compromise. Um, I spent, a year, year and a half working there. And for the first year, it was fantastic. Got a lot done. And then had a new boss that came in and took over. And I just, for whatever reason, it just didn't work. Part of me looks back and goes, could I have done anything differently? Could I have worked differently? Could I have interacted differently? Could I have changed the paradigm to make that more effective? And probably yes, but I didn't. You know, stubborn, hard-ass, call it whatever you want. And I look back now and I'm like, okay, how can I take those lessons and apply those? I think it's less the tech and I think much more the the human side of the world. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it's, we said, I think kind of the theme, even this, our, our discussion so far today, there's, there's a huge, it's the human element in security. So it's like, okay, if I can understand the human and what mistakes I've made, well, maybe, maybe I can start fixing some of the quote unquote cybersecurity issues. Yeah, it's hugely so. You know, and it's, and again, you know, looking back at it and even looking forward, I mean, we all know, and it's, it's just one of the talks I give is, you know, we've all stood up on stage as a security community. We have all stood on stage. We've blamed the end user for everything. We've blamed network for everything. We've blamed the database guys. We've blamed developers. We've blamed the CFO for not giving us money. We've blamed the CEO for not listening to us. We haven't taken a step back and gone, actually, we might be the problem. We might be the ones who are standing there going, I misunderstood and nobody wants to. And then we have to take a step back and go, well, maybe that's because we're not actually approaching it properly. And it's, you know, you go back to the, why do I give back? Part of it is, you know, I look at some of the others and I'll name one Mitnick for crying out loud, who stands up there and beats his chest and goes, I'm hacker number one, takes God knows how much money every single time he makes an appearance that's not this industry. That's not who we should be. You know, you look at so many others in this industry. You look at people who have started conferences. You look at DerbyCon and the crew behind that. You look at all of the other conferences. I mean, you know, you fr- I mean, there's so many. I mean, for crying out loud, Gurkhan and Burkhan, Chris Payne and those guys. You look at all of these damn, all the, so many people in this community want to give back. And want to do it in a way which isn't just for us. It's it's trying to bring in the people in healthcare, in risk management, and everybody else. It's, you know, why wouldn't we want to try and do that? But the problem is as well, we have to figure out how the hell to do it in a way which is much more open, much more inviting, much more friendly for everybody. Yeah. Well, Chris, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where where can people find you on the internet? Oh, all over the all day. Over. Yeah. <laughs> all over. Uh, LinkedIn, you know, it's uh, ironically, I'm still on Twitter. I kind of keep a half an eye on Twitter, but I'm moving a lot more away from Twitter, um, much more onto LinkedIn and Peerlist. So I'm easy to find on there. And let's face it, to your point, just Google me for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, hard hard not to find. Yeah, and I, I, it's funny you mentioned Peerlist, and it's one of those I keep getting reminders of, you know, jumping on this conversation. I'm like, ah, there's a lot of good stuff happening there. I got I to gotta spend some more time on there myself. Yeah, it's hard, though. I mean, to your point, there's only so many hours in a day, and it's like, yeah. okay, how the heck do I effectively divide it all up? Right. Well, I'll be sure to put all that stuff in the show notes, but I, uh, again, thank you for taking the time today. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.